Mi gente, mis hermanos, mis hermanas. This is Brownie in Blue podcast. This is MC coming at you with a pre-Thanksgiving 2020 special. I think um, this guest is an incredible voice on how to be in the proper mindset. And he provides not only his story, but ways of strong mental toughness. I want to welcome Mark Hillenbrand, who's an LAPD officer, veteran, 18 and a half years on the department, life coach, mentor, motivator, business owner, entrepreneur, Officer, father, husband, what else can I say about this man? He is doing great things and making great strides in destigmatizing the blue culture and asking for help. There is nothing wrong with it, and he provides his own story to show how asking for help and seeking help is an incredible way to gain mental toughness. So let's hear from Mark. Let me go ahead and just uh, kick it off, man. I, for one, I just appreciate you coming on the show, uh, Brownie and Blue podcast. I uh, appreciate your support and also appreciate the story, which you're about to get into. So um, obviously you can say as much or as little as you want and uh, just ultimately – um, why don't you tell us and the listeners uh, who you are and uh, how you got to where you are today as far as just what you do with your side business and just your interest in helping law enforcement? Perfect. Perfect. Um, so yeah, my name is Mark Kildebrand. Um, I have no problem talking, talking about my department. So I work for the Los Angeles Police Department. Um, I have 18 years on now. Um, and how I got to where I am, I, I became a law enforcement officer primarily because my father was in law enforcement. He was talking about it all the time. I watched all the shows, the TJ hookers and all that kind of stuff of the day. And uh, just got me really excited about it. And so that was kind of like my plan ever since um, I was small, um, worked up into the career. And I know you talked a little bit about me um, uh, having like a health and fitness and mindset based business for law enforcement officers, but the that was actually grown from my own personal struggles. Uh, when I got on the department, I gave pretty much all my time, all my energy to the department. Um, I went through every training I possibly could, learned as much as I possibly could, uh, worked every crazy shift. Um, I worked gangs for a long period of time. I had uh, a lot of court search warrants, all that great stuff. And I kind of lost touch, not only, only of my health, but of my family as well. And so that came was my business basically came as a result of me having to lose a hundred pounds. 
um, making my family a priority and still being able to own my uh, career at the same time. So that's, that's kind of how that was born. That, and that was like a quick snapshot. There's a lot of like uh, struggles and stuff in that story. And I'm sure um, you'll ask me about a few of them as we go. Oh yeah. So one of the first things that, you know, obviously this is a podcast to provide listeners kind of a firsthand look at what law enforcement officers go through and just also the mindset. So one of the first aspects is question for you, your mindset when you first came on as a police officer with the LAPD, what was that? And then how did that mindset change throughout your career? What type of metamorphosis has taken place? Great question. Great question. Um, so when I came on the department, my mindset was um, solely focused on my career. Um, I, I had this thought, I had this limiting belief that basically said that, hey, I could either be great with my health and fitness, or I could be great with my family, or I could be great in my career. I thought you had to choose uh, which one you put your full energy and effort into, and the other ones were just kind of like pushed to the wayside. And I, I basically had that mindset for a significant number of years in the beginning, which really, when I come to look at it now, it actually hurt me in the long run. I mean, I know we always hear over and over again about how your health and fitness, like literally that's like the backbone of everything you do. Uh, but I realized that um, even though I was giving all of my time and energy to my career, I was, because I hadn't focused on my health and fitness, I wasn't giving it as much as I, as I could have, as well as at, at home. And um, I'm, I remember being on duty and, um, and just being tired all the time. I was exhausted. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I wasn't doing any exercise. Uh, I had like really low confidence when it comes to like uh, working with people in the street. Um, suspects mm -hmm. could see that. And then of course at home, um, I just felt disconnected when I got home. I just wanted to go to sleep and sleep it off and then, and then rinse and repeat the next day. So I, I would say my, my mindset was, was very negative. I was very fixed mindset. I didn't, uh, I didn't think it was possible to own any other area other than just my career at that time. So, so let me ask you this, Mark, and just a kind of a follow-up with that is it's always interesting to me, you know, because you were a person, you were a, a individual pre-law enforcement, even though you wanted to do it, even though you were inspired by your father, you had this mindset, but at the same time, you were living a life outside of law enforcement, which to me, right? So I've talked about this in previous podcasts where I talk about the indoctrination of like how to be in law enforcement and it starts in the academy. Talk about this command presence, talk about this, you know, how you're, how you're dictating yourself to the public. Um, you're in this uniform now, you're, you're a public target. You're also a public servant. You have all these different things uh, from a legal standpoint, use of force standpoint. And then mm -hmm. on top of that, the culture of just going into um, hanging out with other officers, other cops, you know, you, you only go to the, the restaurants that are <laughs> giving you 50% off or, you know, you're, you're making sure that you're only hanging out with these cops because for some reason, and, and this happened to me, for some reason, you just feel that they're the only ones that can understand your lifestyle. Did right. you go through that kind of same uh, mindset in the beginning and how that just kind of all flowed into possibly the habits uh, the bad habits, I would say, the bad habits that perpetuated your your health issues. Oh, for sure. For sure. I mean, I know that we haven't known each other for a long time, but you literally just told me my story. I mean, you, you could totally <laughs> tell that you are a 100% uh, police officer for sure, because that happened. All of it happened to me. Um, I mean, it's... it's uh, 
it's kind of it, it feels like we lose touch with uh just like humans you know the, the way that we used to be uh, surround ourselves with other police officers you know make sure that we sit at a certain location if we go to a restaurant to make sure we can watch the door like all of these kind of like paranoid things kind of come into our our mind that people are out to get us and all this stuff which you know it can save us in in certain circumstances but i think we take it the opposite especially in the beginning um, we kind of go all in with that, thinking that that's just the way that it has to be. And, and you're right. I lost track with my friends. Um, I mean, there's, it, it definitely, it, it changed the, um, not only my personality and, and just how I responded, but I feel like I lost touch with just being a human. And, and I, and I, I feel like I had this identity of being the police officer, not just when I was on duty, but also when I was off duty too. I'm sure you, you felt that same way too, right? Oh my gosh. I mean, that's the thing. It's like, you never turn it off. And, you know, that's the excuse we kind of build in our mindset as not, not even us, but it's just, it's just continuously reinforced through, you know, MIRs like in, in training. And then you hang out with these people and then you're talking about other people's like successes, whether they're going to the gang unit as a detective or, you know, um, whatever it is, climbing the ladder, leadership and all this stuff it's a complete, it's a complete indoctrination into what is police land. And you really get acclimated to the us against them mindset. And that was a big problem for me. Um, And I think it is a big problem for a lot of law enforcement. And and what I love about your story and for our listeners, uh, Mark and I had a great conversation pre podcast, but what I love your about your story is you talk about there was a certain point in time where you noticed all this stuff because it's not just, Oh, I ended up right. It's not this quote unquote, like I had this, I was a hundred pounds overweight and I just ended up being this awesome guy now engaged with my family, (laughs) six pack (laughs) running around, having this business being very, uh, you know, just, just very flirt, very much flourishing, not only in your career, but just all around, just a, a, a good, healthy, peaceful mind. Talk to me about that metamorphosis from where you were, the 100 pounds, the health issues, the disengagement, the, all that stuff to what changed and how did it change? Great question. Great question. So, um, First off, oh man, I, I really greatly appreciate um, uh, you telling me that. However, I always see myself as like, I've got so much more to grow. Um, so I, I would say the pivoting moment for me uh, was when my son was born. So I had about uh, eight or nine years on the department. Um, my, my son was born. He was born premature. So he was born one pound, nine ounces. Uh, he had to spend the first 73 days in the NICU uh, because he couldn't come home. He couldn't breathe on his own. Uh, I was mm. actually just talking to him about this today and, and how crazy it is that he's like running and, and running circles and stuff around me. But um, at that point, I was not taking control of my health or my fitness. I was still trying to work massive amount of overtime. I had to go to the hospital every day to see him. Uh, and I, I was just like literally running myself into the ground. And it was around that point uh, that I even ended up developing shingles. I mean, I, I made it to the point where I literally couldn't even show up for my son when he needed me the most. Mm. And th- that was the point when I realized that um, something was wrong. Like if I'm this father and I'm like this like 
police officer who's, you know, been in the newspaper has had all these great things written about him, but I can't take care of my own family at home. There was something wrong um, and I needed to figure it out. And so I wish I could say I snapped my fingers that day uh, and uh, it instantly turned it around because it took some searching for something that would actually work for me. Uh, but I ended up finding that, um, connecting with something that actually worked for uh, my law enforcement career. And I started to just really grow through all those different areas, not only grow as um, a better father, but also grow as a leader with, uh, within the department, as well as losing the weight, losing 100 pounds, starting a business around that. And what's funny is like back then I said I didn't have any time to do all those things, but yet I've constantly found like more time to do the stuff that really matters. And what's mm -hmm. funny is like when you, when you do that, when you add more stuff to your plate, it doesn't leave you any time for the BS. And I think that so much of what we do is like, it doesn't need to be done, but we, we basically try and convince ourselves that it has to be done. And when we have no other choice, but to give up the things that are BS, we realize, oh my gosh, like I actually have so much more left in me, not only for the family, but I, I can remove all of these other things from my schedule. Cause they don't, they don't need to be done. I mean, they might need to be done by somebody else, but they definitely don't need to be done by me. Um, so I, I, I think that was the, the important piece of, of my puzzle. Which is, you know, that again, that's a mindset, right? Like, uh, I think, I think the biggest aspect of the healthy part of a law enforcement officer is, is a healthy mindset. And I mm -hmm. think that's what I'm describing is that, you know, there has to be a balanced life. And I don't think this is just exclusive to law enforcement. I think, it's a, I think this is a, a wide, a wider problem, a wider issue with, a lot of uh, parents, a lot of um, people out here that are working, you have workaholics, you have people that are just out here living in their identity is that uh, in law enforcement, um, I know that I experienced that. And it sounds like you did too, working the overtime and really just running yourself into the ground, mm -hmm. you know, and, and so just for the listeners, they, so me and Mark, we met through Instagram, um, through like, and, and familiar posts and and just liking the certain things and uh obviously you know backing the blue um and i i say that because the transformations physically we see or i saw with what you've posted mark is incredible but at the same time it's inspirational but again that all comes from a healthy mindset that just doesn't come from um a, just uh you know like, oh, shucks, like I'm a victim or, oh, I got to do this, like a negative mm -hmm. attitude about just your situation, because you said your son was, you know, a preemie, he was in the NICU, you know, you were 100 pounds overweight, you were working overtime, you had all these things going on, tons of stress. What do you do in the midst of all that to get to where you are now? What has worked for you as far as dealing with the stressors of not only the job, but just family life. Man, I, I can go so many different directions and you're a hundred percent right. Um, having worked now in, in my fitness business for eight years, everybody wants to know like what diet they should follow, what specific nutrition plan, what, what kind of workout should they do? How much should they lift? And to be honest, like you said, it is it is so much primarily mindset. If you have the right mindset, you're going to find the tactics for you to employ and actually see success with. And so many people are, 
um, focused in on the tactics and they're also focused in on the before and after pictures. But like I was telling you the, the first time we talked, like the smallest changes that happened to me were the outside. Mm. Um, I mean, it's, it's so much more of a transformation internally. And I know that kind of sounds cliche, but it is, it is like the truth. Your outward success is always a reflection of your inner growth. Mm. And mm. the more that I grew, yes, the more that my body kind of caught up to it but it was all about that inner growth. Um, and so you asked me, I, I can kind of boil it down to, I think really two important things. Um, number one is um, I fueled my mind every morning, uh, like reading personal development, per personal growth, something to make me better, whether that was something related to my career, something related to being a better father, being a better husband, um, something related to mindset. You know, the self-sabotage was constantly happening with me. So I read a few books um, helping me overcome self-sabotage by Gary John Bishop. Um, so that was the first thing. And the second thing was making sure that I surrounded myself with the right people uh, who would not only prove that it was possible, um, but that had a positive mindset. Um, and I, I know with everything going on right now, it is so much like even more critical. And I mean, that's the reason why I reached out to you as well, because I could tell based off of your posts, based off of the, the podcast that you're doing, that you're that kind of person, the person that you want to hang out with more, because like they say, you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And we don't realize that when we're scrolling social media or we're hanging out with certain people on duty or we're at home and we are like not protecting that five people uh, and have it be people who are lifting us up, people who are positive, people who are um, growth oriented, people who don't say like, why did this happen? But more like, um, you know, what opportunity does this present or what, what could I possibly do um, now that I'm presented with, you know, this, like, let's say pandemic with, with COVID when, when you're surrounding yourself with people who always find ways to succeed um, it's just like literally will lift you up to their level. And it just will feel normal for you. Just like how, when you hang out with people who are the opposite, they start um, uh, like, let's say talking about other people behind their back, you're just going to easily play into that as well. So it's, 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 twofold. Number one is personal growth, personal development. And number two is like the people that you hang out with. They're way more important than the exercise, the workout you're doing, or the food that you eat. That is important, but it's come second to all of the mindset. You know, and, and man, you just touched on so many different things that are problematic in policing. And I've done podcasts and I've had people on and I don't want to focus on the negative because it, it's so easy to do. But I think for listeners, uh, what I want to ask you or not even ask you, but just make a statement of what you just said, mm -hmm. you know, hanging out with the people that are going to influence you the most positive. Unfortunately, as young officers, we don't know what's positive and what's negative mm -hmm. uh, because of the culture. Right. Like mm -hmm. we, we know that we can be easily influenced by the older uh, generation that that master police officer who's you know running choir practice behind the station house or <laughs> or um, you know the the eight-year veteran that is you know three times divorced um, and he or she is you know talking trash about you know everything under the sun and just is completely negative but yet you know so I say all that to say just from my experience, Mark, that, that was the norm. That was the norm. It was hard to find right. the positive people that you would want to surround yourself with. In the 20 year career that I had in the department that I was in, I 
had about a year and a half of an incredible time when I was on the bike team. I had a great supervisor who was incredibly inclusive. He was pro, just like, you know, not only it was almost like going into a therapy session or a group session of just a bunch right. of guys who could just be themselves and nobody's sitting there saying, what, what, what what's wrong with you? Like, you don't, you know right. what I mean? It was completely yep. different um, and you, and you weren't judged. So I think that's a huge aspect of this mindset and you're right. It's, it's, how do you, how do you, how do you solve this problem and this culture where you have this culture of just negativity and, you know, I see that you're doing it step by step. What is it? What what type of suggestions for just even people that don't see this and that other officers that are in this? What would you suggest to them or what would you suggest to leadership to say this is what needs to change? Man, I love the question. And I could probably talk about this for like the next hour and a half. <laughs> so, um, man, you have great questions. Great questions. Uh, that um, So... I would, I would say primarily two things. Um, number one is uh, you can be, and at any point, you could decide that you are going to kind of create that kind of atmosphere rather than waiting for somebody else to do it. Um, mm. So I'm, I'm a big proponent of taking responsibility uh, and like really stepping up, especially like right now. So if there, and there has been units that I've worked for that are very negative, but here's the thing, it gave me the opportunity to actually be like the light um, amongst all of that. And, you know, some people, it kind of got them upset. Some people, you know, um, decided they wanted to leave the unit. And that was, I mean, it just kind of happens by osmosis. If you're that positive person, you're going to naturally attract other positive people because negative people don't want to spend any time with you, especially when you call them on their <laughs> stuff, right? So, right. Um, so that's what I did is, is I would bring it on um, uh, uh, with me. Now, what I also did is that that was a primary reason why I actually, actually why I put together my um, uh, my business. And the reason why is because I wanted to create that app. If it wasn't inside of my department, I could also make that happen outside of my department with other law enforcement officers. I mean, like what's crazy is like I can literally go on Instagram or Facebook or anything like that. And instantly I can have access to 100,000 police officers from everywhere. So I, I just really always tend to ask myself, how might I make this possible? Like, even if it's a situation where I'm in and it feels like it's just not possible for me to like let generate this positivity or surround myself with the right people, I start to think, well, how might I make this possible? And that's why my business was created because I wanted to create that atmosphere, not just for me, but for others too, because me working for a department that has 9,000 people, it's kind of easy to move around. It's kind of easy to, you know, duck out of units, go into different units, but you go into these smaller departments, especially across East, uh, back East. Um, and they don't have that many people per unit. You know, they have like 10 or 12 different people. You, you, you get somebody upset at you and that's pretty much it. Right. Um, so I wanted people to have that kind of atmosphere and that's why I created myself. So um, I would be hesitant on ever thinking that it's not possible. I always try to find a way um, and ask myself uh, important questions like how might I, I mean, that's such an important piece and, and we probably won't get to get much time to kind of talk about it, but the, the, the quality of questions that you ask yourself will produce very high quality um, answers. 
And if you're not getting good answers, it's because you're not asking yourself good questions that will stimulate your creativity or your mindset and get you like headed in the right direction, um, which once again, can also be the, the people that you surround yourself with. So I hope that kind of answered the question uh, yeah. without going too deep. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's such an important piece. No, definitely. And, you know, one of the things that you just touched on, uh, you know, I can, man, I, you're, you're resonating in so many different ways because of leaving. So when I left my department, I had issues with finding that creativity. And when I say finding that creativity, I mean, I was all wrapped up in what I used to do which right. was being a police officer. Right. So right. Yep. I felt that I was stagnated. I felt that I was pigeonholed into just this one. I'm a one trick pony. I know, mm -hmm. I know how to be a police officer and how does this comport to uh, life outside of policing? And so one of the things, so two things, one of the things that you just touched on that forced me to become creative and actually, um, get back my, in a sense, my authenticity of, I'm just not a police officer. I'm so many different things. I started thinking about doing a podcast and I did a podcast. I started right. thinking about doing a nonprofit. I'm building that right now as we speak. And then on top of that, you know, I'm mentoring kids and coaching. Um, and, you know, so, the, and, and I'm trying to help as many people in the sense of law enforcement, first responders as I can, just with my story, just like you are. And these are all things that I said, you know what, this is the mindset. Like you can't just sit on your laurels of what you've done. And that's all you can do because you just, you either stagnate and you die or you, as you say, you ask yourself very self-examining questions mm -hmm. and you try to answer those through a strong mindset. And that leads me into you have a series from what I've seen, you've had a series of Instagram posts that talk about mentally strong people and what they do. Mm -hmm. And you've listed them out. And could you go into those things? Um, because I think they're very poignant. For sure. For sure. Before I do, though, um, I just want to uh, tell you how much I just appreciate what you just said right there. Um, so MC, you like you left with this um, or you left your department um, in the way that you did. And I can tell you that most people like 99% would have just called it quits. They would have never done what you did, which was ask, ask yourself, what opportunity do I now have now that I have some free time? Like what kind of things can I do with the things that I've learned, you know, in the 20 year career that I've been, and you've literally just changed people's lives because you stepped out and you continue to make progress. So I just wanted to say how much I appreciate that because like the world is a better place because you're putting in that energy and effort um, as opposed to just what most people would have done, which is just talk trash for the rest of their, for the rest of their life and never really <laughs> amounted to anything, but you are making some significant changes and, and some amazing impact. So I wanted to just say, I appreciate you, man. Thank um, you. No worries. No worries. Um, so yeah, so those, um, those things that I was talking about in terms, terms of mental toughness. So uh, I am not the creator of those. I'll just come out and say it, but uh, I got into a program called the 75 hard. It's something that we're doing inside of my mastermind team. And um, the creator of the 75 hard, his name is Andy Frisella. Uh, he had this great article uh, where he listed the seven things that mentally tough people do. 
And um, the reason why mental toughness is so important is because when you develop it in one area of your life, like let's say you develop it around your fitness, you could literally take it to, to any other area of your life. And basically it's getting yourself to do something when you least feel like doing it. It's like a version of discipline. And so he listed these seven different things. And I started to go into more detail uh, into each one because I found that the members of my team were really inspired by this. Mm-hmm. And the best way for you to develop mental toughness because it's something you develop. You're not born with it. It's something that you have to learn. Well, the best way for you to develop it is for you to start to employ the habits and activities that mentally tough people do. And so that's why I was, um, I was breaking them down. And I can break down all seven for them if you want me to right now. Yeah, please go ahead because I, okay. uh, I think they're very uh, beneficial for anybody listening to this. For sure. For sure. Okay. The first one is mentally tough people don't feel sorry for themselves. So they don't feel sorry for themselves. And that's a, that's a tough one, right? We don't have the time or the energy to waste on feeling sorry for ourselves. We pick ourselves up and we just get start moving, okay? So that's the first one. Mentally tough people don't feel sorry for themselves. Second one is mentally tough people embrace change. Like we kind of mm. talked about that earlier, right? Oh, it's yeah. Like, it is all about change. Change is uncomfortable, but change is also like where the greatest things that happened to us in our lives. I mean, I know having my son, that was a big change for me, but it also <laughs> brought me so much joy, uh, especially when he tells me what to do every single day. Um, but it's like those changes are really what life is all about. And so mentally tough people embrace change. Uh, the third one is mentally tough people focus on what they can control. Mm. So like focus mm. on what they can control, meaning there's no time to waste on things that you cannot control. Number four is mentally tough people learn from the past and grow from it. So that is a tough one. And the reason why is because so many people use their past against them and basically portray it into the future because they weren't successful at this, because they were this, they, they had all of this stuff happen to them when they were a kid. They can never like change. They can never become different. But the truth is like, literally you could do something entirely different today than you've ever done and then do it like that for the rest of your life. So the only time that mentally tough people look into their past is when they want to grow from it. The fifth one is mentally tough people, mentally tough people set boundaries and hold them. Mm. What do you think about Mm. that one? Mentally tough people set boundaries and hold them. I mean, listen, I've, uh, I've dealt with my own issues. Um, You know, I think that one is, it's a tough one because boundaries can be a sliding thing. You can, you can almost have some cognitive dissonance with your boundaries. Yep, exactly. <laughs> um, you, you can, you can say that you're going to do this and you can be this person, but once you don't live up to that person that you have in your mind, you start to slowly recede back that expectation of how you're going to be this person. So therefore your, your boundary per se, or your level is lowered. So therefore you're never completely, you're, you're not always in in congruence with what it is that you want for yourself. So, I mean, I can definitely relate to the opposite of that where I can, I mean, I'll say to you, Mark, mentally strong in the sense of that. And in some of these, I haven't been completely consistent in. Oh yeah. Me neither. 
me neither, brother. <laughs> Welcome to the human race. I, I mean, so many, so many people are like, man, Mark, you've, you've got all seven of these figured out. I'm like, no chance. Right. Like I just try to be the best that I can be every day, but I'm also a human being. I wake up, you know, some days I just don't feel like it. Some days I, I snap at my kids. Like that's just the nature of the beast. I just try to be better every day and I don't hold it against myself because I, I, I am a human, but yeah, that hard one, when it comes to setting boundaries, I mean, I'm great at setting them, but holding them, that's a whole entirely different story, right? But that was the oh, first yeah. thing that I had to do with my with my career is I had to set boundaries around when I was going to be working and when I wasn't. And then I had to hold them, right? And not okay. let overtime or all this extra stuff kind of like pile on and take away from, from my core values, what was really important. Um, and I think you said something about that too. Like when you are not in alignment with your core values, the things that are like bred inside of you that you feel like you were born for, um, you will feel it. You'll feel it like a lack of confidence. You'll just feel it like, ah, you know, I got some stuff done today, but I feel like there's something missing. And it's because you, you did, you weren't functioning within those core values. And a lot of that has to do with you setting boundaries and then holding them. So great mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. Great point. Yep. Um, yep. okay. Number six, number six is mentally tough. People define their own success. Mentally <sighs> tough people define their own success. Um, I, I, I had to give that sound bite or that sound <laughs> because that right there is uh, another stickler of, man, that's a, that, not even a stickler. I wouldn't even say that. It, it's more of a, it's a loop that I think a lot of people play in their minds based off of what other people have told them about themselves. Yep. Yep. And that loop is usually for me, is usually negative, right? Like I mm -hmm. really latch on to the negative critiques or the criticisms or the things that's been said to me about me, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you're right. Like I take too much into what other people's critiques or criticisms have been in, in, in almost um, internalized it as my own lack of success. Yeah. And so therefore that right there, like we care about what people think too much. Oh, and, way too much. Yeah. And, you know, that coincides with policing, especially because if you're not, you know, if you're not that machismo running and gunning, you're locking up the bad guy, you, you know, how dare you let this one get away from you or, mm -hmm. you know, you let somebody beat you up like what, you know, stuff like that. I mean, all that stuff is defined. And next thing you know, you're tucking your tail between your legs and you're like, Oh man, I may not be that. This may not be for me. Right. So, right. Oh. oh, for sure. For sure. For sure. I mean the, 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 the whole, not, not necessarily quote the whole adage of um, sometimes you, you lean your ladder against the building. And when you get to the top, you realize that you actually climb, climb the wrong ladder and the wrong building. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, that reigns true. I mean, I could see, I used to look at people on Facebook and Instagram and think, oh my gosh, that's the success that I want. And you know, some of that I actually achieved. And I was like, this isn't everything that I thought it was going to be. So th this is, I mean, one of the first things that I ask, um, people whenever they say they want to get healthier, whenever they say they want to have a better relationship with their wife or their kids or whatever, I ask them, well, what does success look like for you? And they stop for a second because it like, when you ask yourself that question, like, what does success look like for me? It's different than what you see on Instagram. It's different than what you see for your partner. It's like, what would success 
actually look like for me? Would it be like spending this amount of hours per week with my wife? Would it be going on a date day? Would it be like spending 15 minutes of intentional time with uh, my kids? Like what actually does success look like? And just saying, I want a better relationship isn't even that that's not defined enough. Right. So, um, I mean, any of these, we can go on for days and days and days, but, um, but that sixth one is, is extremely important. Mentally tough people define their own success. Um, and the last one is mentally tough people learn how to live with discomfort. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that's a, uh, yeah, that's, you know what, uh, who you, you, you put a, here's the visual that I get from that, right? Mm-hmm. You put a cage in, or you, you not even put a cage animal, you put an animal up against a corner. Mm-hmm. They're going to do what? they're uncomfortable they're 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 gonna fight they're gonna try to fight their way out yeah and they can't they can't live in that they can't sit in that right because Mm -hmm. and and that's human beings that's our mental uh capacity what we are driven by right like i have talked to therapists where they talk about you know the 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 reptilian brain versus like your frontal cortex where you're Mm -hmm. actually thinking and so we don't ever want to live in what we deem as uncomfortable because we always revert back to this reptilian brain fight or flight type, right. uh, type of thinking. So yeah, I can definitely resonate with that because man, it sucks. And, and the other analogy is, you know, what do they say? Pressure, um, you know, pressure creates diamonds and right. that's the thing. So like what, like you take one, if you don't have struggle in your life and you're not learning from those struggles, then you're not doing this step seven. <laughs> right. And you're, you're pretty much, you're pretty much in that stagnant mode of never wanting to be uncomfortable because you're so afraid of everything else change. Like all these coincide with each other. They do. They do. They're like all, all connected. Uh, and mm-hmm. I mean, you can actually get to a point where it's, it's actually, when you start to get comfortable, you actually get un, like, dis, uh, like uncomfortable. So you get to the point where you've like become so, it, it's so normal for you to live in this place of discomfort that actually when you start to feel comfortable, you're like, oh man, you know, I, I, I guess I got to go do something different because I don't like this feeling of being comfortable. I mean, it still happens to me today. I'll have something, whether it's my health and fitness, or or maybe I'll be reaching out to somebody to uh, to get on their podcast or to help them with something, and I'll have this initial fear of like, ah, oh, you know what? Nah, that's okay. Like they don't have any time. But you know, when I got when I reached out to you, I'm like, you know, this is a little uncomfortable. So I guess I need to do it because what's the worst thing that can happen here? Uh, you know, because I'm not gonna <laughs> die. <laughs> I'm not gonna. You know, nothing negative is gonna happen here. What's the worst that he could say is like, oh no, hey, I'm cool. Um, but it was all just because I have lived outside of my comfort zone. And I still try and, and get back in there every once in a while, but I realized that I actually get uncomfortable being comfortable now. Um, and that just happens uh, over time. So, so those are the seven uh, habits of mentally tough people, all of them equally as tough as the next one, uh, but definitely ones that, uh, that we all need to practice. And, you know, these, uh, man, so this segues into my next question uh, because 
it's perfect, right? Like mentally tough, you, you know, as a, as a law enforcement officer, this is what you're taught. This is what you're indoctrinated with. You got to be mentally tough. You got to compartmentalize this rape or this murder or this crime scene of a, a dead child or whatever it is. You got to just compartmentalize all this stuff and you just got to be tough, right? That, that to me, that's a, that's a wrong definition of tough that what's mm-hmm. police is doing and teaching. Right. Um, and I say this to to ask you this question with what you're doing and how you're going about it. Do you find that you have supportive leadership in what you're trying to do, which is what I would consider a holistic approach to mental health and wellness when. And I say that. So so that's the question. Right. Mm-hmm. Does your leadership support what you're doing and how you're doing it? And then at the same time, the second part of that, with this political atmosphere, the defunding police, the um, you just I don't know if you just saw this yesterday, two New York PD officers got shot. Um, And I know there's craziness that's going on in L.A. So the first part is the mental health and the holistic approach of what you're doing. Does your leadership support that? The second one that goes with that is, do you find that your leadership is joining in or not joining in with this kind of like negative, you know, defund the police movement uh, type of things and the message that they could possibly be sending to you guys? Great questions. Great questions. Um, So when it comes to the holistic approach to mindset, um, I, I mean, I wish I could lump everybody together. I think a majority of our uh, leadership do understand uh, how important uh, mental, uh, I mean, your mindset has to be not only on the, jo- on the job, but at home. I do think there's some, some command staff that don't, um, but I think primarily with the Los Angeles Police Department um, that there are a majority who understand that. I think one of the main contributing factors to why we're still having some blocks is, um, is the fear of asking for help I think that's something that is a really bad stigma amongst police officers when it comes to, like you said, like being tough, like being tough is to, to most people and to how I thought when I first came on the department, being tough was like doing it yourself. And like you said, compartmentalizing it, not talking to anybody about it, not bringing up your feelings or any of these things. And you never want to see a police psychologist, right? Because, oh man, there must be something wrong with you. And I, there, there's a lot of stigma behind that. Um, and I really try and break through that just because I know I personally seen the police psychologist at least six times uh, mm-hmm. while I've been on duty. And every single time I come out more mentally tough than when I went in, which is funny because I usually would protect that and do the lone wolf thing, trying to figure it all out on my own. Right. Um, right. And I, I don't know if it's the stigma because we go into people's homes um, in the most dire of circumstances and have to like really help other people uh, that we have this feeling that like, if we're ever the people that need help, like there's something wrong with us. But in reality, that's, that's the way we function as humans. And when we kind of understand that um, and we, you know, need some help from somebody who is a professional, um, they can really help us get back on our A game way quicker as opposed to us trying to do it by ourselves. So, um, so when it comes to the command in, in that situation, I think every, you know, command officer is slightly different. 
Uh, but I know that even recently I've been getting emails and stuff about, um, about some, some gratitude uh, course that one of our behavioral sciences, um, uh, one of the lead uh, psychologists is kind of putting together for, for police officers. But my guess is that, yes, I signed up, but my guess is that most people on the department didn't just because they, <laughs> that thought of like, oh my gosh, like, what do they think? They think there's something wrong with me or, you know, it, it's just, there, there's like a lot of negative stigma. So I, I would say that was my, was, was, uh, would be my answer for the first question. And the second one had to do a lot about um, the politics that were kind of going on now. Can you, can you like re tell me that once again? Yeah. So the politics and the atmosphere, I feel like it lends to the morale and just the mental wellness and the thinking um, that's going on. Cause I've interviewed, you know, several of your cohorts and also some people in, um, in New York and Chicago um, here locally in the DC area. And I just feel like every time I talk um, to, to officers, they're saying the same thing about their leadership, which is they're actually worse of the problem in the sense of providing bad morale by siding or it looks like they're siding with, mm -hmm. you know, kind of a mob mentality of, you know, this, this negative police sentiment, which goes in line with the whole aspect of, you know, if that's what they feel and they don't know this, they're going to have a lot of unmentally well, healthy officers on the street. Right. Um, and so that's, so that's where, you know, my second question to you is, you know, what is, is this political backlash? Is this political thing affecting, you know, what you see in the ranks and then also what you see just firsthand with other officers and through your work? Um, 100%, uh, for sure. It, I mean, it's making an impact right now. Um, I think in every department everywhere, I mean, I mean, I, I was actually just thinking about this the other day. Like if I was the chief of police, what would I do? Um, and when I put myself in that situation, because I always like to, to, to take that perspective, I, I start to think about like, what kind of things could I do? Um, and, and the problem with the chief of police, which is the reason why I will never uh, decide <laughs> to do that, is because it is like a political battle. Not only do you have to um, help support your troops. You've actually also got to stay in office. Basically, um, you've got to, you know, make sure that for us, the police commission is satisfied with what you're doing, or you're going to be removed. And the mayor needs to be satisfied. So I feel like there's this like really hard tug of war. And I mean, does do chiefs of police make mistakes all the time? But I really do believe that um, uh, that. A lot of them, I know I can't speak for any of them that I don't know, but the, the chiefs that I do know, they have their heart in the right place, um, but they get tugged in like 8 million different directions. So I would never want to be in that position, um, like I said myself, but I also start to think about like, I, I'm a sergeant um, and believe it or not, I actually have probably more influence than even the chief of police could have on the fellow officers, because here's the thing. Like they're, they look up to me because I'm their direct line, their direct supervisor. They don't really ever get an opportunity to see the chief. I know in smaller, in smaller cities, they may have that, but they get to see me like on a day by day basis. And I can make a difference um, amongst my troops, taking care of them, doing what I can uh, on my part. I don't have to necessarily answer um, to the police commission directly like the chief does. Um, but in this just political atmosphere, I mean, this is a very tough time to be a police officer. I mean, 
Like mm-hmm. nobody can argue that. Right. But it's also nope. the most important time <laughs> because this is like, and I was, I was talking about this the other day, like this is growth. All right. I mean, this is just growth as a society and whole and growth is never, I mean, it's always painful. It's always painful and nobody ever wants to go through it. It's like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know who's on my side, who's not on my side. And what I always know about growth is in the end, it always works itself out. And the pendulum is like just this thing where it swings way too far one side, way too far the other side, and it will work itself out. But we have to continue to show up and we have to do what we need to do. Um, And so I know that our leaders do have um, a lot on their shoulders and yes, they could do better. And I, and I hope they're trying to do better. And I see that they are trying to, but there's a lot of also political aspects of the job that I just don't really want to have to deal with. So I let them deal with that. Um, But I just basically take responsibility for what I can. And if I can be the supervisor that kind of protects my people from anything that comes above me, then I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and do that. And I'm going to do the best that I can. And, you know, there's not, there's, there, there's days when I am not as positive as I am today. Um, but <laughs> I also don't necessarily show that in front of my troops because I know what they need um, is, is um, somebody who's going to show up and is going to, who's going to have their back and is going to get them to think in this positive mindset, because I mean, the negativity and, and um, I mean, the, the, uh, yeah, just the negativity that can like literally flow through um, a division or a department just based off of a couple people or a couple incidents that happen can really drag a whole bunch of people down. And you and you understand this, like when you mm-hmm. have um, police officers who enjoy what they do, who go out there and who work and who put bad people in jail and who help protect the streets, and you demoralize them or you get them to be just upset and they don't do that anymore. I mean it's, or they're too nervous to do things because they don't, they're not sure what's going to happen to them. Who's going to back them. Uh, I mean, it's just, it's just a whole new world. I mean, we have already seen like the, the number of at least homicides and crime rate in Los Angeles is going up huge because of all the different units that are being canceled and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I kind of went off on a tangent there, but it's, it's, no, no, no. Man, it's, I think, it's definitely, I think, yeah, I, not to, not to interrupt you. I think you're hitting a lot of things that, um, all these things play a part in mental wellness and mental health for police officers, for frontline officers. And when I say frontline, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about, you know, the lieutenant. I'm talking about the corporal, you know, anything above that. You know, you're right. It's, it, it is a political game. And, you know, that's something that I never wanted to be. Um, yeah. I was a sergeant when I left uh, my department as well. And I feel the exact same way you did. I feel like I had more of a a difference um, mindset. I, I could make a difference more mm-hmm. in my position. And so, you know, I think with what you're doing, though, with what you're saying is very rare, um, to be honest, but very rare with what I've heard across the country. Mm-hmm. And I think the mentality, just like a mustard seed, right? Not to go biblical, but to be biblical, <laughs> like a mustard seed is the smallest seed out there and, but it grows the biggest, right? It is, it it has to be nurtured and you are a mustard seed in the culture of policing. And so that's what I like to see is that the culture of policing needs to change the upstream approach of helping officers, not when they're at their worst, 
mm-hmm. as an addict or, uh, you know, in a domestic violence investigation or relieved of duty. Mm-hmm. Uh, departments need to change this mindset of what you just talked about. All this whole this whole podcast, the whole thing. This needs to be in a sense of framework of how does this get employed at the very outset of an officer's career and how to deal with all of this, right? And then how do you employ all this? So I say all that to say, kudos to you, honestly, with what you're doing and continue doing what you're doing because you are making changes. And then two, it's to segue into, please, like take this, at the end of this, you know, we're, we're at the end here. I want you to take a couple of minutes and just whatever your overall message is to whoever is listening to this, whether it's a layman that doesn't uh, know anything about policing to the wife or husband that is married to a law enforcement officer or the actual law enforcement officer. Like, what is your overall message, Mr. Mark Hillenbrand? Oh man, <laughs> that is a great question um, and, and a very powerful one. I know we talked a lot uh, about mindset here, uh, the people that you surround yourself with, um, and I, I think what helped me to change the most is to realize, um, to to just really stop and think and realize that there is so much potential. There is so much possibility out there. There's so much opportunity if you have a open mindset versus a fixed one. Um, If you're willing to get uncomfortable, ask for help. If you're willing to uh, do things like read a personal development book or surround yourself with the right people, um, you literally can make things that you once thought were impossible actually possible. Uh, It has everything to do with mindset. We talked a lot about that today. um, And I think that's really why I connected with you a lot, MC, um, just for our conversations that we had last time, as well as just on social media, is because so many people are focused on the negativity. So many people are focused on the tactics. They're focused on the wrong things. And ultimately, um, it comes down to your mindset. It comes down to you um, actually employing your values, realizing that You don't have to sacrifice the important areas of your life, especially when it comes to your mental health, comes to your family, comes to your uh, career, comes to your health. Um, Those things do not have to be sacrificed. You just may not know how to do it now, but there is a way for you to do it if you're willing to go out there and and just find it. Mm. Beautiful. That's, I can't say it any better. Mark, I, I appreciate you coming on. I'm privileged and honored to, to have met you, to have talked with you, to now have you as a guest. Um, and I'm so thankful. Uh, so to show gratitude, uh, especially with Thanksgiving <laughs> tomorrow, um, right. I definitely am grateful for, for you and your sacrifice and giving the time um, with everything that you've done. And uh, just thank you so much. Uh, no, thank you, man. I, I mean, I've, I've listened to quite a few of your podcasts. You have amazing guests. You're great at asking questions. Um, I mean, you're a cop's cop. So I, I greatly appreciate you and all the change that you're bringing upon the world. So please keep doing this and uh, we'll have to do this again soon, MC. Yeah, definitely. Have a good one. Have a good night, Mark.